shifting gears next week, so I've got to finish this sermon today. But let me just start out by saying this, okay? Um, for those of you who are still wondering if I got a 16-point buck, <laughs> I cannot tell you um, how many people um, on Sunday afternoon and Sunday evening texted and said, okay, our life group is dying to know, did you get a buck or not? Okay, the only thing true about that story last week was that I went hunting on Saturday night. That's the only thing that's true about that story, and I actually shot at a doe and missed her. That's my hunting experience. That's my 16-point buck story, all right? <laughs> but we're all about testing the spirits here today in 1 John chapter 4 so that you can know, so that you can know, <laughs> sorry, um, the difference between truth and error. The difference between whether someone is telling you the truth or not. And um, we're going to jump today, but I, I want to I start back in Matthew 7. I've got it on the screen for you because Matthew 7 is the great Sermon on the Mount. And as Jesus is wrapping up his Sermon on the Mount, this is what he said. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep. Okay, now just hear me, my friends. This is a profound statement that Jesus is saying here. There are false prophets, and they know that they're false prophets. There are false prophets coming, and they are disguising themselves as harmless, as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way that they act, not necessarily what they say. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? What's the answer, my friends? No, you cannot. A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad fruit cannot produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire because it's worthless, and that makes sense to us. Yes, Jesus says, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. There are false prophets who are disguising themselves as harmless sheep, like one of us, but they're really vicious wolves. Okay, I, can I, I'm gonna bring you something that's gonna blow your mind. So, um, can I just tell you what, how I view myself? I view, I am an under-shepherd. That's what I am. And that's what the Bible describes uh, an overseer in the church. And um, I believe that it is my job to sit on the wall. It is my job to protect the flock of God. You are the flock of God. We are the sheep of his pasture. We are his people. And it's my job as an under-shepherd, Christ is the head of the church, to... Um, watch out for you and to help identify the savage wolves who are disguising themselves as harmless sheep that are coming in among us. And so I bring this stuff to you and I, and, and I want to open your eyes so that you fully are aware of what's actually happening out in our world, okay? So here we go. You ready? I'm, I'm going to read you. Did you know that something very strange is going to happen um, on Wednesday, this Wednesday in Virginia. The satanic temple has been approved 
to host an after-school program for students at the Virginia Elementary School in Chesapeake. It's, it's the B.M. Williams Primary School. It's an elementary school in Chesapeake, Virginia next Wednesday. The club's flyer that you see here, this is what it says. It said that the, this monthly Satanist meeting will teach children benevolence and empathy, critical thinking, problem solving, creative expression, personal sovereignty, and compassion. Now, it goes on to say that Satan, okay, because this, this is the church of Satan. We, we are the church of Jesus Christ our Lord, okay? We are, we are the church of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one and only true God, right? That's the church that we represent. That's who we are. But they represent Satan who wants to be God. They describe Satan in their literature, on their, on their, there he is, that's their symbol. Isn't that awesome? That's what they're using to like lure the kids in. Look how fun this is. Here's our club. They describe Satan as a literary figure. Don't miss the terms here. Don't miss the language here. Satan is a literary figure who represents a metaphorical construct of rejecting tyranny and championing the human mind and spirit. So they don't even, they're not even, they're not even showing that Satan is real. Satan is just a metaphorical construct to reject tyranny. Tyranny against whom? Come on. God. What is Satan all about? I do not want to follow you. I want to be you. And so I'm going to set myself up against you and all of my worldly systems are going to be for that end and to that end alone. Although the club announcement said that it does not attempt to convert children to any religious ideology, it does admit to offering activities centered around the seven fundamental tenets of the satanic temple. Here's the tweet that went out from their director about this event. And it starts out with some musical symbols. And this is the opening line of the tweet. Satan loves me, this I know. For my inbox tells me so. Friends, I'm so very excited to announce our fifth, not our first, our fifth after-school Satan Club, ready to launch at B.M. William Perry Primary School in Chesapeake, Virginia, on December the 15th. Some very eager parents contacted us in October requesting this club, and we have just received official district approval. Please help us spread the word if you know anyone in the area that has a kiddo that would like to join us. This all at the same time that Kirk Cameron, I don't know if you know who Kirk Cameron is and if you're following this, has come out with a new book about teaching children how to apply the fruit of the Spirit to their life situations and how to grow in love and in patience and in long-suffering with their fellow students, okay? And he wants to get this book into the public libraries out in California, and he has been whole 
Sale rejected from putting his book into the public libraries there and to, and to the reading, the public reading of his book at the children's hour reading at the library. They've rejected him and booted him and said, no, you cannot come in here with all these wonderful things about how to get along with your fellow man. But we're so excited about starting a after-school Satan club to teach your kids about the seven tenets of the Satanic temple. Can I just say something to you, my friends? This is real. They're coming after our children. Satan's got to the point where he's like, you know what? The parents and the, let me just say this, the adults in the room are so numb with trying to eke out their their lives that they have created for themselves in my world system, chasing after all the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, that they're ignoring their children. And so now we are wide open. We have a wide open door to walk right in and just teach them the seven tenets of the satanic church. This is real, my friends. And I'm standing on the wall right now And I am declaring to you that you better have your eyes open. We better have our eyes open. And we better had learned to discern and to be able to tell and test every spirit. That's what we're talking about right now, right? Test every spirit out there, every idea, every ideology, every philosophy of man. Because all of the stuff, if it's not grounded in God and his word, every single bit of it is grounded in Satan and his church. And they don't see it that way because there are savage wolves out there in the form of false prophets who are disguising themselves as harmless sheep. It's fun. In fact, let's just steal their song. Satan loves me, this I know. I'm telling you, my friends, it's time for the church to wake up. We need to learn how to test the spirits. That's what we're in right now. This is where we are. How, it's not coincidental, by the way, that God decided to lay on our hearts to go through the book of 1 John, and then right now, in the middle of everything that's going on, we're right here. In 1 John chapter 4, test the spirits. Look at what John says. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. That word test we saw last week is to prove it, to prove with careful scrutiny everything that is coming at us. Literally test it and keep on testing it. Don't be gullible. Don't believe everything you see and hear. Don't believe it just because somebody said and has their picture on the face of a 16-point buck or the guy who has the 16-point buck that he actually got it. Ask the question, did they Photoshop his face? The answer is yes. And some of you knew that because it's like, why is his face brighter than the hands? You know, there were some obvious things there, but they did a really good job. I'm actually going to hang that in my office because I really want that. But my friends, listen to me. Test everything, no matter who is coming to you, no matter who is saying it to you. 
because there are so many false prophets that are coming out there. Test every idea, test every philosophy, test every attitude and teaching, test every story, test every testimonial, test it to see if they are from God or not. Galatians 1.8, Paul said, even if we or even an angel from heaven should preach another gospel other than the one that we have preached to you, and I'm saying to you, other than the one that we have found in God's word, let them be a curse. Let them be under God's curse because they're trying to lead people down the wrong path. And so there is a test that we can put all false teachings to in 1 John chapter four, and we worked on the first one last week, which was, does the work or the teaching exalt the true Christ? That's the very first one of all. That's the first and most important one of all. Look at verse two of 1 John 4. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Sounds a lot like what Jesus was saying. So a true work of the spirit, a true work of God, always, first and foremost, and above everything else, spotlights Jesus Christ. And anyone who denies or even messes at all with the biblical teaching on the person of Christ, whether they touch his humanity or they touch his divinity, they are not from God. John calls them the Antichrist. And I don't, you guys, listen, every single religion outside of biblical Christianity messes with the person of Jesus Christ. Test it, go out there and look at it. They either mess with his humanity or they mess with his deity. And John is saying if they do that, then they're not of God. In order for any work or teaching or philosophy or attitude to be of God, it has first and foremost to exalt the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we're all about, and we will always be about that here in every part of our ministry. All right, here's the next test question. You ready? Number two. Does the work or the teaching oppose worldliness? Now just hang on with me, okay? We got a lot of work to do in the next few minutes and I'm gonna do the work. So I hope that you'll do the work. So buckle up, all right? Get your mind sharp, get your pencils out and let's go after it, or your pens out, whatever you're using and let's go after it, okay? Does the work or the teaching oppose worldliness? That's the next test. Look at verse four. You dear children are from God and have overcome them. Who is the them? The, the them is the spirit of the Antichrist, okay? That's what we're talking about here. You, dear children, are from God, you're different, and have overcome the Antichrist and its teachings and its ways. Why? Keep moving. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I just set you up right there for an amazing shout of praise. Are you not excited, my friends? Are you not excited, church of God, that you are no longer of those of the Antichrist? You are no longer against God. Before we came to Christ, we are enemies. We are at, at enmity, the scripture says, against God. We are enemies of God, but now we are friends of God because we are children of God because of our faith in Jesus. And so we have overcome the spirit in the world because greater is he that is in us. Who is that? Who is that? Say it loud. Who is that balcony? Come on, balcony, everybody, who is it? Yeah, I, that's not everybody. Everybody in the balcony, who is it? 
Yes, it's the Holy Spirit of God. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And you have overcome them because of the possession of the Holy Spirit of God. How awesome is that? Man, praise the Lord for that. If you didn't have that, my friends, listen. If you did not have this Holy Spirit, we'd all be toast. And you, there's no righteousness that you could produce. You can't even fight against the things in the world, which is what's wrong with the world, because they don't have the Holy Spirit, and we have to understand that. I feel, Phil has to understand that, and I have to keep training my mind, because let's keep on going. They are from the world, verse 5, and therefore they speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. I'm training myself. Listen, please understand. I'm, I'm a work in progress. You are too. We're all broken. And I'm training myself in this right now, in this truth, that the world right now is doing what comes natural to them. And I am trying to do what the Holy Spirit wants to produce in me against what comes natural to me. I want to be angry. I am angry, okay? Let me just say it that way. I am angry at what's going on. I am angry at Satan. I am angry at the work he is doing to try to sabotage the work of the Holy Spirit and to try to steal seeds that have been planted into people, good seeds of the gospel. I'm, I'm angry at Satan and the world system that is stuffing people and deafening their ears and blinding their eyes with the things of the world around them and, and false teachings that are keeping them from the truth of the gospel. That angers me, but that cannot function in that anger. I've got to function with knowledge, okay? And, not, and against my emotion to be angry at everything. I think the church has been angry at everything for too long. And we're going to learn some more stuff about this later on. But I... But, I'm, I have to keep in my mind that the reason that the world is the way that they are, the reason that the false prophets are who they are and what they're doing is because they don't have the Spirit of God. They're tools of the devil. Okay, don't go out and say that to anybody who doesn't know the Lord. You know, don't go out and say, you're just a tool of the devil. But, but <laughs> Jesus said that. Jesus, I didn't say that. Jesus said, they're just doing the will of their father, the devil. So our hearts ought to bleed for them. We ought to have compassion, even for the false prophets, even for the leaders of the church of Satan, because they are completely blind, and they, they need the Holy Spirit to wake them up. Amen. Wake them out of their delusion. Wake them out of their deceptive hearts that have believed this. Wake them up from the lies that they have believed. And we're the, we're the agents of the Holy Spirit of God. But when we're testing the spirits, the evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in the lives of people to produce righteousness and sanctification is the true test of the work. Does it oppose worldliness and promote sanctification or spiritual growth? If it does, then it's of God. If it doesn't, then it's not. Because spiritual maturity and practical holiness and Christ-likeness comes to the believer through the power and leading of the Holy Spirit as we apply the truth of God's word to our hearts and to our minds and to our emotions and to our desires. And a true work of the Spirit convicts of sin. So if it's of God 
and there is something that's happening, then what that spirit, that teaching, that philosophy is driving people towards the things of God, away from worldliness. And if that's evident, if that's present in the work, then it's of God. That's, that's what John is telling us. It's by their fruit that you will know them. Back to Matthew 7 that we talked about. Jesus said, how will you know if people are from the Lord? It's because of the fruit. A bad creed can't produce good fruit. In other words, you have to have the Holy Spirit of God in, other, in order for you to have a tree that bears good fruit. And the true work of the Lord brings that on. Let's roll. Number three, the next test question. Does the work of the teaching point people to the scriptures? That's the very next thing. Does it exalt Christ? Does it oppose worldliness? Does it point people to the scriptures? First John 4, 6, look at it. We are from God, John writes. He's speaking of, and I'm going to explain this in a little bit. He's speaking of the, the apostles. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Jonathan Edwards, in speaking to this, he's a great pastor and theologian of the 1700s. He wrote this, the spirit that operates in such a manner, this is that points people to the scriptures, as to cause in men a greater regard to the Holy Scriptures and establish him more in their truth and divinity is certainly the Spirit of God. Because only those who are of the Spirit will point people to the scriptures. If you mess with this, just like if you mess with the deity of Christ or the humanity of Christ or the Christ coming in the flesh, if you mess with that at all, you are not a work from God. If you add to or subtract anything to God's word, it is not a work of God. I'm not talking about other tools that help support and strengthen. No, you can't strengthen. No, no tool, Phil, get it right. No tool strengthens the word of God. But any tool that might support the word of God that you can use is okay as long as it is has as its foundation the word of God. And that's how you test it. And every, every religion outside of biblical Christianity messes with the word of God, either adds to it or subtracts away from it. Test it, go out there and see. And that's what John is saying here. He's endorsing the apostolic message the Bible that was breathed through them by the Holy Spirit as they wrote down the very words of Christ. This is what you have in your, in your hands. It would take us a whole year of Sundays to just begin to touch on what it means that this Bible is inspired and is trustworthy, okay? But I just wanna simplify it by saying this. It's clear, the scripture teaches that God's men, John is one of them, and what he's saying is you should listen to us because we listen to God. 
And we wrote down the things that the Holy Spirit, the scripture says, inspired them to write down, breathed the words into them to write down. And you might say, well, they, didn't, they don't all sound the same. Yeah, there's all kinds of literary styles and everything and, and, and personalities involved in that. But you need to understand, because if you don't, you don't trust it. You can't trust it that every single word that we have here has been inspired, breathed into the writers to write down exactly what the Holy Spirit inspired them to write down, which, by the way, are the words of Jesus Christ. And then God went to work to put it all together and preserve his word all down through the centuries so that we can know and trust that we have the truth in our hands. This is truth. This is God's truth. And he has supernaturally preserved it for you and me so that we can open it up every day, look at it, and apply it to our lives and live it. And live in victory over the world. And this is what, this is what Paul, John is saying here. If you listen to the word of God, which is essential, and in essence, listening to the apostles' message then you're of God if you listen to it. And if you don't, then you aren't. You know, Jesus talked about the revelation of the Spirit. This is what he said when telling the apostles that the Spirit was gonna come and use them to write the word. He said this in John 16, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth and he will not speak on his own initiative. This is the Holy Spirit. But whatever he hears, he will speak. He will disclose to you What is to come, he will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. Jesus made it clear that the Holy Spirit would not speak on his own initiative, but would reveal to them the word of Christ. John wrote in John chapter one, in the gospel of John, in the beginning was the word. Who is the word? Jesus Christ. Everything in here are the words of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The word came and became flesh and dwelt among us, which is what we're gonna celebrate here in a week or so. He came and dwelt among us to bring us his truth. And the Holy Spirit inspired men to write that truth down and to contain it in the pages of this Bible so that we could trust it and know how to live. And every work that points to the scripture and elevates and exalts the scripture is a work of God. If it doesn't and it messes with the word of God at all, it's not. Amen. Test it. Test everything. Test every philosophy. Test every teaching. Test every counseling book. Test everything that's out there to make sure that it is clear. Not does the Bible support it, it's <laughs> does it support the Bible? Because this is the foundation for every work of God. It's the primary instrument used to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I'm running out of time. I, I want to take you here. I really do. Because I, you know, we're talking about a work of God, a, to, a true work of God is illustrated in Acts chapter 2. So don't go in your Bibles, because I have like a paraphrased version, a kind of condensed version of the story of Acts chapter 2. But here's what's happening in in Acts 2. It's the beginning of the church. The church is brand new. And Jesus promised, he said, I'm going to leave. And then when I leave, you guys go and you just hang out in a place for a while till the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you like you've never 
felt before, you've never experienced before, like a fire, okay? And so on the day of Pentecost, they're in the upper room and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they begin to testify the things of God and they begin to speak in tongues. They've got the tongues, some supernatural tongues. Now what you need to understand is that those tongues was actual language, okay? It wasn't something that nobody understood. Somebody in the room understood it. The speaker, what was supernatural was those who were speaking in tongues did not understand what they, they thought they were just speaking in their own language, but they weren't. They were speaking in some other language And the people, the foreigners that were there that didn't speak the regular language were actually hearing in their native language, they were hearing the gospel clearly and plainly. And people were freaking out on that, especially the Jews. And so a whole crowd of Jews came together and was like, what is going on here? You guys have lost your minds because you're speaking in these these languages that you don't understand. And they thought they were drunk and everything. Peter, don't miss this, okay? Prior to Pentecost, they were not um, indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. They may have had the Holy Spirit influencing them, but they were not indwelt. Now they're indwelt with the superpower, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit of God. And Peter stands up to speak. He didn't go in his office and work on it for a week and then bring the message. He just started to speak. And I want you to hear, because we're testing the Spirit, we're testing the message. I want you to hear that even in At the very beginning of the church, before any scripture about the church was written, before John wrote anything, everything that we're learning about legitimate works of God is happening in this message that that Peter brings, okay? That's the foundation. So here's here's what he says. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. Because what were they freaking out on? They were freaking out on the fact that they were speaking in tongues. And so what does Peter do? He immediately exalts Jesus Christ and lifts high the name of Jesus. But God knew what would happen, he went on, and with the help of lawless Gentiles, you, you Jews, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. And now he is exalted. Who? Jesus is exalted to the highest place of honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out on us, just as you see and hear today. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Do you see what he's doing? Can you test it? Is this a work of God? Is the Holy Spirit involved in this? Why? Because he's exalting Jesus Christ and he's exalting the truth of what happened. And look what happened as a result. Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away. And listen, my brothers and sisters, you just read about yourself in the scripture. You just read about yourself in Peter's message that was inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak of. Because he said, this promise is to you, to your children, and those far away. 
He's talking about us. Anyone else who's gonna accept the Christ has been given this promise of the Holy Spirit. And all who have called, been called by the Lord our God, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church and about 3,000 people got saved Amen. because of this powerful message that elevated Christ and elevated truth. Similar to that, let's go to number four, because you have to ask the question, does the work or the teaching um, elevate the scriptures, right? That's the wording I use on that. Point people to the scriptures. But then here's the fourth thing. Does the work of the teaching elevate the truth, which is similar, but different, okay? Follow me. Can you elevate the scriptures and not emphasize the truth of the scriptures. You should see you guys. Some of you are like, maybe. Others are like, nope. And others are like, I think so. (laughs) There are lots of religions out there that elevate the scriptures but mess with the truth of the scriptures. You've got to test it and you have to have both. It's got to put the spotlight on Jesus Christ. It's got to put the spotlight on the scriptures, God's holy word and the truth of the scriptures. That's why we need to be people who speak the truth. Come on, speak the truth in love, exactly. Does the work of the teaching elevate the truth? Verse six, this is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. That's what what Jesus said in, in John 16. So any of the work of the spirit will elevate biblical truth and sound doctrine in the hearts and minds of God's people. And then here's the final test. Number five, does the work of the teaching produce a love for God and others? Every work of God that's a true work of God, every teaching that is a true teaching of God will have as its goal producing a love for God and others. Look at verse seven. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. The primary fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5.21 is love. And where true love exists, it is an evidence of the Spirit's genuine work. Because the work not only produces a greater love for God, but it instills within the believer a sincere and sacrificial love for God and for others. You know, the mission of First Baptist Church, which I believe is the mission of every church, is to equip believers to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and give yourself wholeheartedly to him. Every day, getting up and put your feet on the, on the ground and saying, I sacrifice myself today. I'm a living sacrifice for you. I'm taking up my cross and following you. You are the Lord of my life. I will do everything in obedience to you and your word. And that includes loving my brothers, loving other people. Our whole goal is to equip you, the church is to equip believers to love God with all their heart, to love people with everything and to sacrificially love each other. 
And the result will be that we will influence our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. How will they know that you're my disciples? Because of your great love that you have for one another. But that love gets translated in your sacrificial giving of yourself to share the gospel with them and to help them understand everything that they don't have and help open their eyes by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're gonna work on this more. There's a lot of work left to do. It's Christmas, okay? And we're in the Christmas season. I did not manage 1 John well enough to finish today. So we're gonna pick it up at the first of the year, if that's okay with you. We're gonna spend the first four weeks of the year learning how to be people who produce a love for God and others so that we can influence our world with the gospel. Is that okay with you guys? We're gonna pick it up. Okay, very good, all right. Good, I'm gonna remind you that you said it was okay to do that when you get to it. Let me close with this, all right, this story. So like early in the 18th century, um, there was a movement of God that was primarily here, but it was, it was in Europe. Um, it was literally a global revival called the Great Awakening. And that movement was led by theologians and preachers like George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards. Um, it was a strong move of God. There was a lot of supernatural power in it. There's a lot of supernatural things that were happening, but the things that were happening um, made it a, a strange movement, especially for the Puritan culture in which it found itself. So this revival is, is breaking out, and the Puritans were freaking out. Um, so Jonathan Edwards, which was, he was, he had immersed himself. Now Jonathan Edwards was a solid theologian. He was a conservative theologian. Um, people looked at him and so they were surprised that he immersed himself in the Great Awakening and they were criticizing him for it. And, and in the middle of all of it, he preached his famous message in, in 1741. The sermon titled, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. While he was preaching, the response, the Holy Spirit moved in such a way, and the response was so great and intense that he couldn't even finish the message. Now, let me stop in the story. I, I can't imagine a, a greater day than me preaching a sermon someday. And the Holy Spirit moves in such a way that it shuts me down mid-sermon because people are crying out for the Lord. So a reporter wrote on what happened, and this is, this is his report. The disturbance became too great as the audience was overcome by screaming, moaning, and crying out things like, what shall I do to be saved? Can you imagine how powerful, how powerful to be preaching and, and people standing up in the sermon just saying, tell me what I need to do. That's what happened in Acts chapter two. There was such a move of God that going on that as Peter was talking, the people were crying out, tell us what we need to do, brothers. And their response was repent and be saved. Turn to God. They were crying out, oh, I'm going to hell. Others cried out, 
What shall I do for Christ? You had people crying out because they were, for the first time, confronted with the news that there was a hell and there was a heaven and they needed to get out of hell and into heaven and that Jesus was the only way and they were saying, help me out. You had other people saying, what do I need to do to be saved? And you had other people saying, what can I do to go deeper with God? And this is what happens when the Holy Spirit shows up and showed up in that message. Shut the whole place down. Some said that from a quarter mile away, you could hear howling and screeching and groaning. It sounded, they said, like women in the pains of childbirth as people agonized over the state of their souls and everyone was exalting the Lord Jesus Christ and was urging others to come to the Redeemer. All that emotionalism that they called it, okay? All of that emotionalism came under massive skepticism about whether it was a move of God or not. Was this truly of God or not? Is this some kind of emotional thing that everybody's whipping these people up? It's not real. Is it a move of God? And people began to say, it's not a move of God, Jonathan. Get out of it. And so Jonathan Edwards went to work because he felt it was necessary to explain Hang with me, okay? You all right? We're almost done. <laughs> to explain the legitimacy of a revival could not be determined on the basis of emotional responses. So you couldn't just say, oh, because everybody's emotional and screaming out, what am I to do to be saved? That it's a work of God. You can't determine if it's a work of God just on that. But he said, conversely, at the same time, he insisted neither were overwhelming emotional outbursts evidence against the presence of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Don't miss this, okay? He said, the real test or the distinguishing marks of a genuine work of the Spirit of God has nothing to do with such dramatic effects or lack thereof. So he put the work to the test and he tested the Spirit's and Jonathan went to work on 1 John chapter 4. And when he applied the test of 1 John chapter 4 that we just went over to the great awakening, he concluded this. And these are his words I have on the screen for you. While there were some excesses and carnal expressions, the Spirit of God was genuinely at work. The true Christ was preached. Worldliness and sin were opposed. The scriptures were exalted. The gospel truth was elevated and a sincere love for God and for others was demonstrated as a result. Determining the great awakening was truly an amazing, astonishing, undescribable work of the Holy Spirit of God because they put, and, and they knew that by putting it to the test of 1 John chapter four. Isn't that something? In the 1700s, using the same test that we can use today whenever we're going up against the satanic church trying to convince our children to worship Satan. I want you to know that this church embraces substitutionary atonement. This church embraces the true nature of Christ and the Trinitarian nature of God. This church embraces fully biblical repentance and the unique superiority and authority of God's word. And this church genuinely desires to lead people into 
a deeper relationship with God in love for him and sacrifice to him and a deeper relationship with each other as we love each other and love those in the world enough to go out and influence them with the gospel of, God, of Christ. Our goal is to fully equip you with the gospel to be able to change our world and to tell all those who are lost that they can be rescued from sin that they can be rescued from spiritual death and everlasting hell. And this church has always stood for that in its 160 plus years of existence and we will always stand for that. But don't take my word for it. Test it. Test me. Test everything we do and keep on testing it. You have the Holy Spirit of God to help you to make sure that we keep true to Jesus and his name and his person. And we keep true to the scriptures. We stay true to truth. We stay truth about living against the world and loving everyone, including our great God in heaven. Please hear me. Some of you are sitting here and visiting with us wherever you are online. And in your heart, you know you don't know the Lord. You want to, you want to have a relationship with him, but you know your heart is convicting you that you, there's something missing and you need Jesus. Can I just tell you that that is the Holy Spirit of God. You, you have exposed yourself by sitting in a service like this, by sitting wherever you are online with us, You've exposed yourself to the truth of God's word. And when you are exposed to that and God's word goes out, the scripture says that it will not return empty. It will go out and accomplish what it's set out to do. And if you're feeling convicted about your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the word of God through the work of the Holy Spirit convicting your heart about that. And everyone sitting around you right now, they fully understand that because there was a day, and you all remember that, the day that the Holy Spirit came and enlightened your mind to the truth. That day for me, <laughs> look at this. Doesn't this take you back to the 60s and 70s? This is my Bible that I had when I was a teenager. And on August the 12th, 1976, I wrote in the front of my Bible because I was under the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. And that day, I humbled myself and repented of my sin and realized by the work of the Holy Spirit that I needed a savior. And with the help at Bible camp with my counselor, I pleaded with the Lord to save me. I repented of my sin. He saved me. And that day I wrote, and I don't know if you probably can't see this. I wrote in here, saved, August the 12th, 1976, Mount Gilead camp. Stand in the gap, Phil. Be the man that God wants you to be. He saved me on that day. And it wasn't a work that I did. It wasn't something I ginned up inside of myself. It was the Holy Spirit of God. And if that same Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, today is the day of salvation for you. I can't make that any clearer. I can't, I can't plead with you any deeper to come to Jesus. We can help you with that. You can do it right where you're sitting. You can, you, can, you can ask for forgiveness of your sins and receive the Lord, but we would love to help you if you don't really know how to do that. If you're online, reach out to us. That's what we're all about here and always will be about. Let's stand together and let me pray and release you.
Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. I, I, Lord, I want to thank you for the foundation of this church and those many men and women all down through the years that have faithfully kept the direction going with this simple equation to exalt the name of Jesus Christ and exalt his word and equip believers to do the work of the ministry. Help us to continue with that. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here that as we go out into this world that is testing us, that we will turn right around and test those spirits and test everything according to your word to make sure that it is the work of God and that we will have the power and authority to stand up for truth in a world that is trying to disguise it. Bless them and give people courage to come to you if they need to today. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. God bless you, my brothers and sisters. We'll see you next week.